Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. What's good, Internet? It's August 9th, 2022, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 500. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. That's, I now, wish I had my things. Kato, if you're gonna, you actually have to go get the soundboard. You have to build the soundboard <laughs> if you're going to do that. Also, I that, was a, give you, that, was, that was kind of a half-hearted wah 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 It was like, uh, you know, I'm here. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I just had to deal with cat mess. I'm a little out of it. I, I would have given a more heart, full-throated wah 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 well, so situation. see on the soundboard, maybe you have like two modes, right? Like the soundboard has one that's like full, like morning zoo, mm-hmm. and then the second one is like the morning zoo's having a tough day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the morning zoo, the zookeeper has depression. Uh, uh, if you're gonna be the best man at my wedding in Elden Ring, I need you yeah. to bring the fucking energy, and that's not the energy I'm looking for, <laughs> frankly. My witch wife is 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 not gonna respect me if the people I'm bringing into the circle. Or acting that way, okay? She can turn okay. into a miniature doll. Okay. And I don't need people going, rah, 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 and they show up <laughs> when I'm trying to fight this dragon. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now my witch wife will show interest in me. Well, you heard him there. Uh, that's Patrick Klepek. And we also have Renata Price. Normal hello. <laughs> uh, so, look, this is episode 500. And I, mean, I had a great idea. Uh, I thought we could do like, Imagine a huge clip show featuring all the best bits of Waypoint across like 500 episodes. Uh, you know, in the sitcom days, they did stuff like this to pad out episode counts and the staff could just kind of hang out and recycle old content. But the problem is that 500 episodes is is a lot. Uh, and and frankly, the history of Waypoint too many. Radio, honestly, it's, it's kind sort of a blur. Of, sort of upsetting that we're at 500 <laughs> episodes. They're not. There's a there's a world in which you're proud of it, and a world in which it gives you a real lengthy pause. <laughs> Dear God, 500 episodes. So yeah, anyway, look, clip show, it's a nice idea, uh, but actually probably the hardest thing we could attempt uh, because it all passes, like I said, in a blur. That said, if any of y'all have favorite bits from like the first 250 episodes or so, we'd welcome a trip down memory lane. Uh, at some point, maybe we do a <laughs> clip episode or we just keep a running document of like waypoint radio podcast gold but for today however we need to do something else uh so because 500 episodes deserve something special a little a little treat let us say uh and because we know that one of the more divisive 
uh, topics, let us say, and a source of <laughs> rising complaints in recent months is the ads on this podcast. Now, when we started this, the main podcast feed was kept under glass and the Waypoint Plus feed kind of needed to be its own thing. However, a few months ago, after we were getting more and more reports that podcatchers were sometimes just shotgunning five to eight minutes of ads before anyone heard a single people don't want to hear me pitch on uk broadband is this the feedback that we're getting (laughs) it's that they were hearing every it was like they would hear every pitch that you've done in like the last month like all in a row plus random ads being inserted uh like it happened to me a couple times listening where i was just like wow this is like I've been hitting the skip button. You know what? Frankly, you got years of a podcast in which we could not convince the company to sell any ads. So, you know what? This is just the timeline compressing in in a different way. (laughs) Well, they they, they sold ads. It was just uh, ASMR of a guy selling orange juice for like three years. Lemonade. 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 And then play Um, whack-a-mole with... Uh, which which military made Army it to the podcast this week? Yeah. Uh, Whoops, so, it was in Germany this time. <laughs> Squash. Uh, so anyway, listen, when we brought up this issue uh, following this like latest round of complaints about ads, we revisited the decision uh, about having an ad-free podcast. And this time we got some terrific support, in part because the response to Waypoint Plus was so strong. So effective today, and maybe a few of you have already noticed, uh, but everything that is on the public Waypoint radio feed will be added to your uh, Waypoint Plus feed ad-free. The timestamps that Kato includes, they're now unequivocal. No guesswork. Starting with this one, right? Just to be clear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, Kyle, you need to go back and read. <laughs> yeah, I was about uh, to say. I have all those files. Five hundred five. You know, actually, <laughs> it's a good. You can start getting. You can get a head start on your clip show. Yeah. Uh, Wait, Bob, what if the clip show was just, in, you know, hey, for our Waypoint Plus subscribers this month. Um, so the ads, the ads aren't the ads aren't in your podcast, but we've compiled the ads that Rob and Patrick <laughs> the, are reading into its own podcast. Yeah, and so you, I know you. Do you want to hear Patrick tell the same vagueish story about his wife uh, liking pork, and then you know uh, picking that out of the freezer? They're like, "Don't worry, <laughs> we've got you covered." Man hunting one week, ad hunting another week. <laughs> we will give you plenty of material to splice together and re-edit in your own interpretation of our best our best uh, pitches. But yeah, so now all of this is yours to enjoy at waypointplus.com. By the way, for those of you listening to uh, to us through the public feed, if you are still getting barrages of ads, do let us know at gaming at vice.com uh, because it is one of the weird things about this issue, it, this issue is it is not happening to everyone and it seems contingent on a few other factors. So we're working on figuring out what's going on with ads in the public well, feed. Well, quite literally, if it happens to you, write in with how do you listen, what episode, where it occurred, because... Our suspicion is that this is not happening to the vast majority of people. I mean, we're glad to offer this. This has been it a, seems like, podcatcher related and region. Right. Related. Yeah. So if you can yeah. like the more specifics you can give, the better so that we could specifically address it with wherever that might be coming from. But for folks in general who, you know, I, I mean, it literally is like part of the, 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 the equation on this was like, hey, like a lot of like the revenue Waypoint generates like apps at Waypoint Plus is through like the ads on the podcast, like. Can we like whoever we lose to Waypoint Plus as a result of this, like, can we make that work? And like, it's a testament to the success and the support from the Waypoint Plus community that like this was actually a very easy decision. Like it wasn't it required no convincing of our bosses once um, we sort of pitched them on on how we felt, how it was going to kind of add to to what we're already offering. So uh, 
yeah, it's it is because of you as well that we're able to do this, which which rules. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I am sure I'm sure it is good news to a lot of you just to have the option now uh, to get away from the ads entirely via Waypoint Plus. Uh, so once again, if you're not signed up, go to waypointplus.com. Uh, that is that is how we are marking episode 500 uh, and continuing the sort of like uh, you know new generation of of Waypoint and, and what we're doing here. Um, moving on from that, I want to talk a little bit. Ren and Kato, this weekend, I saw a lot of folks on my Twitter timeline apparently just ascending uh, <laughs> during the Street Fighter <laughs> final. And that's that's odd to me because that is the most hype I have seen for Street Fighter V basically ever. So I'm curious, like, what's going on here? Like, did they did they fix Street Fighter V or is it just it had a good finale? So... Is Street Fighter V fixed? N- not really. Mm. Did they do about six years of work totally rebalancing the game and bringing it up to the point that most fighting games launch at? Yes. Uh, and this was its final year uh, at Evo uh, because uh, Street Fighter Six is re- launching in 2023 and will take Street Fighter Five spot on the Evo main stage. There will probably still be a small Street Fighter Five scene uh, at Evo or or somewhere uh, around like the tournament scene because that's what happens with all of these games. They have dedicated players who still want to play them, um, but SF Six is going to be taking its spot. Um, but holy fucking shit did it go out on a bang because <laughs> the top eight of Street Fighter V was... S- I don't like Street Fighter. I don't watch much Street Fighter. I was marking the fuck out for every moment of that top eight because the storyline between Idom, uh, a relatively new player from Queens... Uh, and Kawano, a um, real up and comer, was it, it was astounding. It was so good. Fucking Daigo showed up. Daigo <laughs> hasn't been around since 2013. Daigo has not been in top eight since 2013. The face of Street Fighter managed to get into top eight only to be defeated by these two young up and comers who then went head to head in the finale in one of the best sets I've ever seen. It was, it was incredible. So I'm curious, uh, in terms, like, does this mark a changing of the guard? Uh, is this kind of an artifact of the fact that street fighter five didn't get the most traction with some of the, uh, you know, people who were staples of the scene through previous Street Fighters. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, what's happening generationally within the FGC versus what's happening generationally with this series? So I think a lot of it is is FGC generational shift, uh, because the thing to note about IDOM is that IDOM is um, two things uh, that are important to understanding how he fits into the conversation and the narrative of the FGC right now. One, he's a pad player. Uh, he plays on gamepad uh, excellently. Uh, and that is in and of itself like a, a marker too. He developed his skill set playing online. And that is a that is a new thing uh, in terms of in, in the FGC. Basically, online play is so bad or so unreliable that before like probably 
2017, 2018, playing online to get better is a really risky prospect because it requires an astoundingly good internet connection on both parties, and games just couldn't promise that. Is, and is, now, part, is part of that, uh, like, we've seen an increase in the rollback netcode yes. become popularized, and I, I can't explain, maybe you can explain to folks, like, how that works, but it, as, a, as an outside observer... My understanding is like essentially until mass adoption of like the rollback netcode tech, it was just going to make online play if to make what you're talking about where players can reasonably believe they are experiencing a cl fairly close to one to one like in-person play was going to require all games moving towards this or else there would be just an increased reliance on in-person tournaments to have that kind of skill set. Yes, correct. Basically, rollback netcode is... From the way I understand it, it is a complex form of client-side prediction, uh, where basically um, when you put in your inputs, they get sent to a computer, and that computer goes, these are the inputs. But before the computer has your inputs, it goes, here is what I think this person is going to do. I'm pretty sure this person is going to do X act, like X action, right? And if it's wrong, it will then go back and update. Uh, it will roll back a few frames. And so there's a slight delay between your actions as it travels. Um, traditionally, like I was playing earlier today uh, and I had four frames of rollback, which is a lot. Uh, playing with four or five frames of rollback is playing at some with like 180 ish ping. Uh, and it was kind of a nightmare, uh, but it was playable. And that is the difference. Playing against someone with 180 ping without rollback means that you are not even playing the video game. You are playing against Goku fucking instant transmissioning his way around you and <laughs> kicking your ass because you can't do anything about it because the other person is, and here's the other thing about ping, people with bad ping get used to playing with bad ping. And so when you play against someone with bad ping and you have good ping, you are going to get your ass kicked because you don't know how to time your inputs correctly around someone who is literally teleporting around you. Um, and so you have a new generation of FGC players who are trained in online and who develop their skill sets in online spaces and have done a ton of scrims as opposed to like going to arcades or like going to locals all the time or even going to like major tournaments. Um, one of the unique things about IDOM is that he did not go to any major tournaments for like three years and then showed up and dominated out of nowhere. And then everyone was like, oh my God, he's actually one of the one of the best online players there is, and we just never fucking noticed. Um this also uh links into the pandemic because you have also the uh, a lot of people really picked up their games uh during the pandemic and really developed their skill sets. And so you have this new wave of players who have um developed their skills specifically during um lockdown uh or during the time where they were like in between jobs um and so there's a there's a pretty big wave hitting the fgc of, of new talent hmm. um and it's it's really good to see that handover uh especially in street fighter 5 uh, because it was it made for a really good story um you couldn't have written it better i don't think well, Idom could have won. That would have been <laughs> that better. Would, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, maybe next like, year. Taking this final, just uh, just a little bit. I I am curious. What is what is the matchup? What like in terms of the fighting characteristics mm -hmm. uh, of the two? What what did it come down to? So the the key thing to note about Idom is that Idom plays Laura. Laura is not a particularly great character. She's like mid-tier at best. Uh, some, some people will push her up into A, but generally she's considered like B-tier. She's niche. Um, that is because she has tremendous offensive potential. Uh, she is a grappler. 
uh, but is a for, as far as grapplers go pretty fast um she like does a lot of mixing strikes into her grapples um and she has a projectile laura is fine she does not have good defensive options it doesn't matter in idom's case because idom's offense is astounding not because he's perfectly optimized his combos or perfectly optimized his strings, but because he seems to have a near supernatural ability to read his opponents. Uh, at one point, one of the commentators, James Chen, just said, it doesn't matter how many interactions you have to win if you're always right. And that is how <laughs> it felt watching IDOM, because it was like he would go into situations and be like utterly dominant against the best players in the world because he would know exactly what they were doing and he would bait them into making the worst decision possible over and over and over again. It's like he's playing a different version of Laura from everyone else because he has so perfectly mastered her specific timings that moves feel like they come out faster because he is hitting them before you even do the move you're going to and he's already pre preempted your reactions. Uh, and so she feels like a better character uh, than she normally would be. The other thing to note about Laura is that she's relatively, she's not low damage, but she's average damage. She has to win a lot of interactions to put numbers on the board. And so you have this really specific, really unique player in playstyle going up against Kawano, who is a colon main, who's like a A-ish tier, um, who is uh, a, a lot of projectiles, a lot of ice-based projectiles, uh, a bit more of a strike throwy um, than like a than a tr more traditional grappler. Um, and Kawana was similarly dominant throughout winners brackets. Um, there were games where he was pushed to two three. Uh, he was pushed to you know tournament point uh, or sorry to uh, bracket point. It didn't feel that way ever. Uh, he was one of those players who has a really exceptional ability to to control the narrative uh and so what you get is these two players who do not play optimal characters nor do they play them in like super high combo optimization oriented ways they are people who play characters because they really really fucking like them and really vibe with them coming up against each other in uh this uh grand finals bracket Idom fought all the way through losers, and Kawano fight, fought through, I believe, three winners bouts, uh, because the loser has to fight through a total of to win uh, six six bouts, um, four in losers, one in grand finals to reset, and then the actual grand finals. Um, and uh, Kawano had to fight through three, and so they arrive, and Idom loses the first match against Kawano. This is the first time he's looked even phased, even a, even a little bit phased by anyone. And then he goes on a three-round win streak that was fucking insane to watch. <laughs> because you are seeing someone who has dominated this entire tournament just be undone. Kawana was playing scared. Like that is the that is the thing about Idom is like once you once he is in your head, you are terrified of him because everything you do, you know he knows you're about to do it, and he will punish the hell out of you for it. At one point, Idom whiffs completely whiffs a an attack, does this like big, like long recovery animation, just does it into open air. Hits the ground. In a normal fighting game played by a normal person, what you do in that situation is you go, oh no, oh god, 
I'm going to get hit. Let's go on the defensive. Let's use one of my defensive options after whiffing this huge attack, and I'm going to get punished for it. A lot of punishes have pretty long startup. Item hits the ground, immediately throws out a punch. It, the crowd flips the fuck out <laughs> because he has totally, he lost his turn. Um, are you familiar with the idea of a turn in a fighting game? Like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I like, it's, it's sequence of decision, right? Like, it's like decision loop. Basically, when it is your turn, you are dictating what's happening, mm -hmm. uh, and you are dictating the narrative of the fight. Uh, and so, stealing someone's turn is basically going, "No, this is my turn, motherfucker. I'm going to interrupt you and then totally change what we're doing here." And so, Idom loses his turn, just fucking drops it on the floor. Fucking my screen plays his uh, his turn all over the floor. And then immediately takes it back and then finishes out the round with a W. It was, it was, that, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, how, for, and, I, and this isn't exclusive to Street Fighter necessarily, or even this particular sequence, but how often is there a competitive advantage in choosing players from the B or C tier, mastering them, knowing that higher level players are likely to assume, well, I'm going to play against other higher level characters because that's what we've all, that's the meta. And so do you get any sort of advantage by saying, like, no, actually, I get an element of surprise by having really mastered this character whose moveset is going to be a little more surprising and throw you off because you haven't spent the tens of thousands of hours identifying how, how they might work uh, with a player that really and truly understands them? Uh, yes, uh, there is. There is a slight advantage to playing off meta characters. Actually, there can be. It depends on who you're playing against, sure. because there are some people who study matchups to a astounding degree and will have completely and totally studied the matchup of your particular character. People knew Idom was coming to this tournament. Uh, and so to some degree, they're... Is there coming and then also expecting that they're, you know what I mean? Like there's, we, we know Idom's coming, but there's also then respecting that Idom was going to perform the way that they did. You know what I mean? Like there's a, a level of, of difference in terms of how you would prepare for a player like that. Yes. Um, Idom, to be clear, uh, people knew to prepare for him because he okay. won, he has won, he's come in first place in multiple tournaments. Um, gotcha. he is, he is an up and comer in the scale of the FGC, but he has taken a lot of dubs very quickly. Uh, and so people knew that he was, he was going to be there. Um, but yeah, playing off meta characters is often really good. Uh, not only because they, uh, you will surprise your opponents with your, with your particular skill set. Um, that's one aspect of it, but also off meta characters are off meta because they balk the standard style of play. Mm -hmm. Not because frequently, not because they are objectively worse, but because they play differently from people from from how the competitive scene has established things should be played. Uh, and so playing someone like Laura, who is who requires off constant aggression and like a lot of very particular mix ups means that you're going to be playing in a way that looks distinctive from your competitors. Um, and so regardless of how well they know the matchup, you will be doing a different play style. And that can often be really, really effective. So how did Kawano like get his feet back under him uh, facing this facing this onslaught? So uh, an important thing to note about the way that Idom plays um, is that he 
has a real talent for strong comebacks. Uh, and so basically what was happening was even though, uh, what's up? Uh, that also has to do with the V trigger that he's using too, yes. right? Which is a yep. big, which is a, a thing that kind of, I also threw some people off in Street Fighter. There's a system where basically a meter fails as you, uh, take damage, uh, and over slowly over time called the V trigger system. And you can choose different things to use that on. And he was using one where basically it takes Laura's kind of mid-tier damage and turns it into actually good, very good damage, but it takes a while to fill. So kind of the first half, he's always like on defense with not a very good defense, like not a, a, a bad defensive character, right? But he's got to play that like first half of that match really well until it hits and then like all of a sudden it's dangerous to, uh, it's dangerous to interact with him at all, right? Um, yeah. Can you wait out that second phase? Um, it, like, yeah, it does have a okay. time, so yep. you can wait it out again. But usually, that they don't go that long because then he's on the aggressive in a way where there's only so much level you <laughs> yeah. can hide in. Yeah, <laughs> that this is the other thing to note about Idom and his playstyle is Idom was winning every one of these games, fucking handedly. Mm -hmm. Every single round, it looked like he was about to die. Uh, and that's right. part of why it was so fun to watch him is because every round you're like, if he gets breathed on one more time, he's dead. And then without fail, he would turn it around uh, because he just had utter dominance of the, of, of like the, the, the narrative of each fight. He was taking hits because he wanted to. Um, I think one of the things that, that helped Kawano get his feet back underneath him is that Kawano started being able to bait out and manipulate Idom's use of resources. Um, I, if I remember correct, the final round, uh, that won Kawano the tournament, uh, basically he and Idom were both on one hit on one another. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Idom was out of resources. He had already spent his V trigger, uh, and he had already spent his meter and Kawano had his. And so basically it was, uh, this narrative of, of Idom being like the master mental manipulator who is dependent on using his resource as well. And this is why Laura's a B tier character is because she's really hard and requires a lot of attention to be able to use in this particular way. You have to be able to have a near mastery over the game system mechanics to be able to use her mm -hmm. at the level that you could use the other half of the roster. Um, very infrequently, S-tier characters are, like, unbeatable. It is more that they are more consistent. Yeah. Consistency puts you in S-tier, not strength. And Laura is deeply inconsistent, but Idom has mastered that inconsistency. But then Kawano got a handle on his playstyle, got a handle on the rhythm through which he fights, and then was able to take control back over the narrative. Uh, also, and, and, yeah, please. Also, to be clear, though... This went to terminate match for terminate point tournament point for both of them, right? This yeah. was the last possible like they played as many rounds of Street Fighter as they possibly could have in this set, right? Item reset, and then they both got it was literally the the, the it had to come down to that match, and they were both yeah, like we said, at one hit, like this was not. It could have gone either Literally way. Literally as close as it can get. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, it was it was astounding to watch. Um yeah, Item's just he's just a joy to watch play the video game. It, it, 
he is playing cool Laura. Yeah. Like he is playing the bigger Luke of Street Fighter. <laughs> Everyone else bigger is playing Luke. fucking Luke out here. He is playing bigger Luke. He is a threat. He's I feel like um and like this gets said in all fighting games, obviously, like health is just another resource, right? Yep. But in in certain types of games where uh there's like longer um uh combo chains, like in uh in like Dragon Ball Fighters, which also had a uh, top eight uh, earlier in the weekend, uh, those tend to be like the neutral game is very important because once you get a hit in, everyone's optimized their combos such that you only need to get two combos off to like kill a character, right? And it's like a three yes. character. There's a whole meta to that, but Street Fighter is one where like there aren't super long chains, right? Like you can maybe take a couple combos on purpose knowing that it will help build your V-trigger a little faster and get you into that mode. And that is really fun and exciting to watch because then you're technically, yeah, on a you're on a life deficit, but you're in this like super-powered uh, space where now you're going to just destroy the other person's health bar if you can get a head hit in, which item frequently found that space in like new and fun and like interesting ways each time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the great thing about watching Evo that, that Kato gestures at, um, and that the thing is but that was a real joy to spend quite literally the entire weekend uh, <laughs> just hanging out with my girlfriend watching Evo together, is that it does a tremendous job of showing you how different fighting games construct themselves and how they build resources and build the narratives throughout the course of a match. Um, Street Fighter, like Kato mentioned, is multiple combo heavy. Uh, you are going to be landing multiple combos to be able to kill someone. The Guilty Gear Strive, on the other hand, is an explosive game that ends in about tw- every round ends in about 20 seconds because the second you breathe on someone, they are done. Uh, but it is like really exciting to watch at its best um, because it is seeing these slight decisions lead to really, really explosive and like flashy sequences. Uh, and there's there's a reason that Strive was the most uh populated tournament bracket uh this year uh it beat out street fighter it beat out tekken it beat out uh mortal Kombat. it was a it above and beyond street uh 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 guilty gear strive was the most popular thing there um it was it was it was a really really excellent evo tekken was also hype god tekken was so hyped connor do you watch tekken no, I was watching Dragon Ball Fighters during that time because I had missed it. Dragon Ball Fighters happened kind of late in the night on the East Coast, so I was like, "This is my this was the time I had was during Tekken." I missed, so I missed out what happened on in Tekken. I saw there was Akuma going on. I forget that Akuma is in that game, which super is wild. Fucking Akuma, <laughs> yeah, Super Akuma is a uh, uh, Tekken player uh, from the Netherlands who plays Akuma, a Street Fighter character, uh, and plays him. <laughs> very fucking well plays akuma very well uh but people hate akuma in tekken because he's uh good he's really good uh to the point where people are like this sucks uh but the the story of tekken basically came down to uh this really exciting story a rematch between arslan ash a one of the pakistani players who completely changed the face of tekken in 2019 uh, arslan ash basically comes out of nowhere and beats the best Tekken player in the world, not once, not twice, but three times in a row at the biggest tournament stages in the world. 
this is the first time they've been head to head against each other in in a in a real major tournament setting since then and it was it was tremendous to watch uh Arslan Ashes basically like practice partner and dude also from Pakistan who uh, plays in a very similar way to Arslan Ash because they go to the same arcade. They had a going back and forth. I've never seen two men so reluctant to fight each other in a video game. Uh, I saw a friendship almost ruined on stage. Tekken was astounding. It was it was a really really excellent Evo uh, uh, overall. Um, and I know you're also working on a piece around a new character in Guilty Gear. Um, yeah. I'm curious, like, is how new is this a character that was like there at Evo or is this a coming attractions type thing? So Bridget was not at Evo because she was originally released in Guilty Gear XX uh, mm-hmm. back in 2003, 2003, I believe. Uh, Bridget is. <sighs> they announced Bridget uh, at uh, the beginning of the Guilty Gear block mm-hmm. and then said, by the way, she's available tomorrow. Bridget's out. They basically did the, hey, new season pass is here. I mean, it's really fucking here. (laughs) Bridget comes out. There is an eight-hour gap or a 12-hour gap between Bridget's release, like in-game, and her announcement where there was a really big question in the air regarding how they were going to handle that character and her gender identity. Because Bridget in Guilty Gear XX uh it was a cross-dressing boy uh basically the story is that she grew up in a english town that had a superstition around twins she has a twin brother uh, and so her family to protect her from the superstition and curse has her dress as a girl for most of her life this is a pretty common not common but like a frequently used narrative um about and it is always deployed in weird ways that like make gender nonconformity either something to be afraid of uh or the butt of a joke in guilty gear xx her, her narrative uh revolves around fight becoming a bounty hunter to prove her masculinity yes she says i dress like a girl yes i'm comfortable dressing like a girl but I know that I have to prove my masculinity by beating the shit out of a bunch of people, one, and two, making a lot of money doing it. And so she becomes a bounty hunter to prove her productivity and strength. And then she does it. At the end of Guilty Gear XX, she beats Johnny. She beats the dude she set out to beat, and her masculinity is is, is, is proven to her. And then she disappears from the series for 10 years. There's nowhere else really for her narrative to go. Uh, Bridget is a dresses like a little nun. Uh, it's very she's very cute, uh, and then she uses a yo-yo uh, to be a really, really tricky zoner uh, and trap character uh, because she can basically throw her yo-yo out and then dash to it uh, in a way that is like very fun and like interesting to play against. Great. So, that was in 2003. The fighting game scene has changed significantly since 2003. Daisuke, Guilty Gear Strive's director, has changed significantly since 2003, as is evidenced by Testament's return. Testament, again, originally the, like, androgynous trans villain, uh, is reframed in Guilty Gear Strive as, like, hey, actually, we all think Testament's a really nice person. They seem really chill and everyone likes them a lot. 
Uh, and also, by the way, Daisuke goes, also, they're literally non-binary. This isn't a question. We're not like having this conversation. Don't be silly. <laughs> Bridget comes out. It's announced. People start freaking out because it's Bridget. People are excited to see Bridget again. But also, this debate kicks up. Oh, what the... She's just a femboy. Come on, guys. She's a femboy. Come on. She's just a little guy. Uh, and that is the the tone of the conversation is people really strongly asserting this. Uh, and they're like, well, these idiot SJWs trying to claim that this character is a girl now. And then the arcade mode drops. And the arcade mode narrative is not just a story where it's like, oh, yeah, Bridget's a girl now. The arcade mode narrative is about Bridget coming to terms with the fact that she's trans. In a way that is deeply on the nose, uh, borderline cringe uh, in its in its genuineness. But almost but but affecting because the narrative becomes about basically her going, I accomplished the thing that I wanted to. I proved my masculinity. I did it. And then she comes into contact with Gold Lewis Dickinson, the Secretary of Absolute Defense, everybody's favorite <laughs> redneck UFO coffin carrying motherfucker. He is a king. And he looks at her and he goes, Well, hey there, cowgirl. And she goes, oh, I'm a boy, actually. And he goes, oh, all right, cowboy. And then they they fight. And then he goes, you seem pretty insecure. And she goes, no, I'm not insecure at all. And he goes, no, I think something's bothering you. Will, will you tell me what's bothering you? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Gold Lewis, Gold Lewis, what, what if my fam... I, uh, there's something there is something bothering me but i worry that my family would never understand and gold lewis goes now i don't want you to make the same mistakes that i did i i, I wish that i could be honest with my family that i that I had made the choice that you can make so many years ago <laughs> and gold lewis and she's like oh thank you gold lewis and then kai kisuke shows up the king of a country and he's like hey how's it going bridget are you good and then they have a therapy session <laughs> and then gold lewis and kai have a group therapy session with her it's all very funny um but in one of the one of the scenes gold lewis goes all right later cowgirl oh i mean cowboy sorry and then she goes no no it was right the first time and you hear this like very sad genuine character being like no it was right the first time because i think i'm a girl and it's very cute it's very cute but the thing that i think that actually works about this story is and a lot of people are claiming that it's a retcon or is going back on character development that happened previously and i think that is a deep misunderstanding of how queer narratives work queer narratives are basically never linear and the story that is there if you strip out you know the corniness of its delivery and the weirdness of some of its details is real and meaningful a character felt that they had to prove something about themselves they had to prove their masculinity and then they did it um i have a lot of friends who wanted to be the best at something 
because they wanted to be the man who was the best at a thing. Not because they actually cared about the thing or wanted to do it. It was a way of proving a very specific version of masculinity. Um, the kind of masculinity that leads you to, um, you know, <laughs> burning bright and burning bright and short uh, and dying at a young age uh, because you were excellent at something uh, and didn't have anything else in your life. And luckily, uh, most of the people who I care about in that way failed to do it uh, and instead lived longer than they thought they would. Others accomplished their goal and still lived longer than they thought they would. And the question became, well, what comes next? It didn't do anything. It didn't matter. And for many of them, the answer was that they were trans and didn't know how to engage with that fact and were trying to perform something that they weren't comfortable in. And I think the thing that I really like about Bridget's narrative is that that is, that is the narrative of that character and it is told with a cringy level of genuineness. And it's really good to see. And I think in some ways reflects the ways that the FGC itself has shifted over time, both in terms of like the prevalence of queer people, but also in the ways in which the FGC has gone from something that needed to prove itself. For a very long time, the FGC was trying to prove its legitimacy as an esport, as a part of games. It tried to do this through massive prize pools. It tried to do this through, you know, maximum competition. And then it did it. It became legitimized. And then what happened next? Well, what happened next is a lot of queer players started showing up in the scene. Sonic Fox showed up, came out as non-binary after winning Evo, <laughs> and fucking changed the scene. It became not an option to be a transphobe in the fighting game community. You cannot be a commentator and be a transphobic asshole publicly because players will not show up to your tournaments. There are consequences for that action. And fighting games have changed in the last few years from something that is about proving yourself to something about the expressivity of play. That is the thing that people are focusing on now. That is something that Sonic Fox, that's why Sonic Fox stopped playing Guilty Gear, is because they were like, yeah, I mean, you can optimize this game a ton and you can like do all these things, but it's not expressive. It doesn't feel joyous in the way that I want performance and you know playing these games to feel joyous. And so Bridget releasing at Evo after Guilty Gear has gone from a niche anime fighter to the biggest game at Evo, them releasing a trans character whose whole narrative is about accepting that excellence doesn't matter and a joyous expression does really hits home. I think it is a surprisingly prescient and like real character arc. And then Umisho goes on to win the damn thing too. Umisho won it. Yeah, yeah. Umisho. Umisho, uh, who's also who who is trans, like won uh the Guilty Gear top eight, uh, which is just like perfect, like beautiful. The universe coming together, synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, it, it could not could not have written it better. Yeah, than Umisho fighting through a fucking gauntlet yeah oh my truly. god she really had to put in the work to to get to get there and she did uh and it was really really incredible um 
to watch. Evo was a, a real treat uh, this week. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible tournament. Um, like and like one for the record books, uh, for for sure. Um, very very excited to see what's next. Uh, it's the like, first one owned by Sony, right? That's that's isn't that true as well? I believe Sony owns Evo now, right? Yeah. Did that they happen got, last year? I forget if the last online was two one years was. ago. The uh, wizard was outed and sort of moved yeah. off the stage, right? Right. Uh, yeah. But I don't remember when the takeover happened. Uh, let me see. Uh, 2021 yeah. uh, was when Sony bought Evo. Uh, and so, yeah, this is... The fact that it didn't come at all is Evo a footnote is, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, that, no, I necessarily looked at that purchase as, I think it was more, what does Sony get out of this? Like, why get into, like, running this tournament? But uh, I don't know if it's, put that aside, as long as the tournament was great and it went well, uh, that's really cool. And that the fact that their new owners didn't, it didn't fudge with any of it. Yeah, I also think that like Sony buying Evo is is interesting insofar as Sony platforms have been these. From what I understand, it's Sony platforms and PC are the standard platforms on which fighting games are played. Yeah, playing on Xbox is pretty rare. Well, Sony um, was funding a lot. Like, I mean, Street Fighter was essentially yeah. saved <laughs> yeah. from Capcom not uh, funding a sequel by by Sony stepping in and. Um, so like Sony actually has like a rich history in other than like the, you know, the PS1, PS2 being like primary places that people were playing those games, um, you know, as fighting games lost some relevance commercially, mm-hmm. Sony stepped in to sort of like cement that community on their platform as a pillar. So in that, in that regards, it does make a lot of sense. I hope, uh, for me, I think like I haven't followed the scene too closely, uh, for, for a few years. I really liked, uh, you know, Street Fighter 4 era and the closing days of uh, Marvel 3. And I think for me, like, one thing that kind of bummed me out is it seemed like, for me, the the thing that took the wind out of my cells was Capcom just to, did not seem like they could put a win on the board uh, in terms of, like, a release. Like, they, they, they seemed, like, unable to connect with why people liked their previous games uh and unable to deliver like what people were wanting uh so i, I kind of end up like seeing the sort of the the wither the rapid withering of interest in street fighter 5 which was a, a bit more of what i was interested in uh coming off four uh i was like yeah it was just it was, it was kind of a bummer uh because a lot of a lot of mainstay games for me it was it was just like it was it was sort of the the cautionary tale of like what the dependency on corporations can do to a scene where it's like mm-hmm. hey you know this thriving vibrant community and ecosystem we've got we need to release a sequel and we're going to do it badly and yep. in the process we're going to pave over uh what was there and so that was uh it, it's it's cool that like it's it sounds awesome the way street fighter 5 went out i hope that street fighter 6 can pick up that momentum and not repeat the thing where they kill the momentum first for years and then and then slowly uh bring it back together yeah i'm i'm not a street fighter expert i'm almost hopeful uh they are they seem to be building a game that people are actually interested in playing uh they are doing some things that are unique uh and i would actually consider pretty exciting uh I think the the game's announcer system uh, is uh, a sign of where they want to take things. Uh, and I think that that is, I think it's cute um, that they have a 
that when you are playing Street Fighter VI, your matches will be commentated like they are fighting game matches at a tournament. Uh, I think that's that's cute. Um, they are doing the sports game route, and I think that is a smart route to take things on. Uh, all right, so with Evo 2022 uh, wrapped, we're going to take a quick break and be right back after these messages. Or not, I suppose, if uh, you're listening to this on the <laughs> feed. Uh, yeah. I don't know what this experience is going to be now. but you just, just get uh, a little hey, music sting. Hey, yeah, hang little, out with us. Time. Hey, hang out in our, hang out in our, in our, in our cool room with us welcome the ad to the no ad zone when it comes to your finances you think you've done it all you've saved you've researched and you've invested all that you can now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor yahoo finance as America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, Patrick, so you have been playing a bit of Cult of the Lamb, and mm. uh, you're you're so excited about this. It's unclear whether you're about to break Embargo. No, I'll be fine. I don't know exactly what happens after an hour, even though I played an hour and the Embargo said, well, the, the review Embargo is Wednesday morning. This goes out Tuesday night. I'm going to speak favorably about the game, and I don't think the publisher is going to care. Cult of the Lamb uh, <laughs> is a... Well, it presents... Uh, up front as uh, kind of like a, a Binding of Isaac, uh, like a roguelike dungeon crawler. Uh, it is a game in which you are a character who is being sacrificed, and then upon entering whatever is the afterlife equivalent, uh, there is some sort of uh, creature that says, Hey! <laughs> these these gods around here running cults. They suck. Want to start a new cult? You want, can, you, can you do that for me? I'll send you back. You just need to start a cult. And we'll get to killing all the other cults, and then we'll be the cult. This like, is the okay. Pantheon equivalent of that XKCD comic about there's too many standards out in the world. What we need to create is our own <laughs> universal standard. And yes. you just created a new standard. <laughs> a new standard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and so you get sent back in, and the game opens with you. If you imagine, you know, an aesthetic fairly similar, but, you know, stylized slightly differently to A Binding of Isaac, where, like, hey... You go into a room, uh, you play this little animal kind of adjacent creature, you can attack, you can dodge, uh, there's a map um, that you're filling out and you're collecting items along the way, and then you uh, get to the end, and normally what would happen, and, and you know, you're like, there's a map, and you can choose which section you're going to next, and there's a boss at the end of that map, and so it starts out fairly, like, rote, like, kind of another one of those, and my history with games like this are... You know, it, it, I, I like them in theory, but it's rare that I fall off the deep end with one. The last one was Dead Cells, which I think is a terrific game. Um, and and frequently the reason I fall off them is because I require, usually require some sort of like broader hook than just do the run again. Um, and so what's interesting about Cult of the Lamb is that when you get kicked out after fighting 
uh, either this mini boss, I forget exactly the, the sequence of events. But anyway, you get, you get back to this sort of central hub area. And this central hub area, it's then revealed that as you're going on these runs, you're going to run into followers or rather people that you're going to turn into <laughs> to followers. They're, Agency in this scenario is uh, deeply suspect, but uh, you can, quote, recruit people who are going to become part of your cult. They appear into this sort of like central space. And what's revealed is that this game has like a much broader like sim element to it, where Mm -hmm. instead of just like in a uh, rogue legacy where you do the run, you come back and you're doing like upgrades to like a castle. I haven't played Rogue Legacy 2, but it gets pretty common in these games to have developed, hey, like there are, rather than just the run that you're doing being like, hey, you get the character as powerful as you can, you die and then you start over. There are like permanent upgrades that are happening to make the runs a little bit easier or at least different as you're returning. Um, This game is like much more linear. There's like a focused story. You are going after these four different, uh, demigods, or at least that's sort of like what's presented, uh, in, in front of me. Um, and, uh, like there's tangible progress happening where, like, if you fight a mini boss, it fills a meter, the meter fills, you can go fight a real boss. But anyway, so in this, in this sim area, you'll meet a recruit, uh, quote, convert them, and then they are a follower of your cult. Um, and you start, you can assign them to, like, get resources, you can assign them to, <laughs> be devoted, which basically means they just sit and pray in front of this statue. And that statue gets you devotion points. Those devotion points fill a meter. That meter allows you to start unlocking different things. And those things start spreading pretty quickly in terms of like, uh, they're like buildings. You can start putting farms. You can start putting uh, like different buildings that are accomplishing different tasks that are uh, unlocking different skills for your character. But on top of that, you're try you're managing these people and they get more and more demanding these these cultists who maybe didn't want to become part of this cult but now are they have some demands and those demands are like as simple as when they they are hungry so you make them food uh when they eat they shit on the ground you can use that shit as fertilizer for the farming that you're doing in a different part of the map and then also you have people who go you know what I just don't believe I don't believe in this cult anymore. I think it's bullshit. I think this is uh I I don't I I don't I actually don't believe in this cult. And so you'll you'll have like I have like six people in my cult at the moment, and there's this one guy going around with a megaphone, just going like this is bullshit. We should all leave. We shouldn't be doing this anymore. And you can go up to them and deal with them in a couple of different ways. Uh one is that like once per day, there's a day night cycle that's always progressing as you're like, even when you're in the dungeon. So if you forget to like feed your your cultists when you leave, like leave some meals out, like you're leaving them for, for, for a dog or a cat, you'll just be in the middle of a fight and it, you're like, oh, your cultists are starving. They're just, they're, they're beginning to revolt back there. And so you need to be like setting them up as you're going off in your adventures. And this dude, you can like go up and so the man is going around with the, the megaphone. I have an option to quote, re-educate them which i'm not i um it seems to be that i just sort of like proselyze to them and then their meter goes down and then that meter keeps going up and in in the case of one character they had enough with the cult and they decided to leave and they just left but i had the option of building like a barracks and sacrificing them in front of the rest of the cult and this That's is a how good the solution yeah well you know so 
tied to that is like you have different skill trees that are related to different choices you can make in regards to your cult. And so, for example, uh, I have like I chose a skill that was I get less of a knock on faith, which is like a generic meter that's building up that you're managing. It's a lot of games and managing meters um, when like someone who's unfaithful arrives. And so like that's less of a hit to my broader flock. Um, the other one I could have picked was, you know, it would get people faith really up. Just kill that fucker in the town square. Just show him like, you know what faith is? Faith is faith is following me. And it's all in, of course, this like very cutesy, you know, cartoonist aesthetic. Um, but it has like a real dark undertones uh, throughout. Um, and like the long short of it is like I'm I'm really enjoying in the the only hour I have played PR. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I like this. I like managing this. I don't know if the game was just the dungeon crawling part. It's fine. It's okay. But all the other stuff I'm managing and what I'm also starting to unlock along the way that are other things I can be doing in between going to the dungeon crawling and just the promise that, hey, uh, you're progressing on a story. It strikes me as a game that's like 15-ish hours. Uh, You'll just be done. And like you've got these sim elements along the way. It's just a really... It's a really interesting way to interact with a genre that I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with based on what it's asking of you. And, and Cult of the Lamb has just a lot of really interesting – it's busy work, but I've found the busy work to be, like, really satisfying and interesting. And especially as someone that, uh, you know, famously said part of the reason they didn't like Fallout 4 was I don't want to manage a town. Um, a lot of that is because it's the aesthetic stuff. Like, I don't want to get bogged down in – painting the walls like i'll build the functional stuff and and cult of lamb does have you can get in the nitty-gritty on how everything looks but it seems at least to this stage i can just like build the new building and that takes care of a task and well it's also just way more sense of personality too like the fact that you have someone running around trying to talk everyone out of the cult yeah, while you're back it's turn i can't imagine that sort of like vibrancy in fallout where you're like oh shit they're back at it like <laughs> that like the the fact that the little the little relationship you build up with them the little spitefulness of mm-hmm. like this person oh you think you're gonna leave Mm-mm-mm. gonna use you to fire up the the faithful yeah and and, and like layered on top of that are, the, are these you know uh other small things you're this game is full of satisfying small quests that you're accomplishing as you're doing the broader goals so even as you're doing like just clean up in like your home kind of like homestead area uh you like a follower will come up and says hey could you go do x and it's just another sub quest to do but it'll be something you clearly will do along the way that increases like their devotion their devotion uh, as it levels up, increases, like, the amount of, like, devotion points you're getting. It's just, like, a lot of, it's a lot of really fun systems in a really fun and quirky setting. And the actual combat itself is, like, is good enough, is pretty good, is enjoyable. That, like, it all works as a piece in a way that normally I see, these games are a dime a dozen on Steam. I I have bounced off a million of them. And this one I I mostly booted up as, well, I want something to talk about on the podcast and then and then i blew past that hour um uh like stayed up to about 12 15 last night because i wanted to see like one more turn of the screw in terms of what i was doing on a day night cycle and uh so i yeah i just cannot speak more highly of it especially if you're someone that uh 
needs more on the treadmill of these types of games. This this has a lot of really really cool stuff going on. How much how much color do you get on the on the cult on like the on like the weird god who you're hanging out with? How much? Uh, do- I haven't not too much yet. I, I'd assume uh, they clearly have a relationship with the other cults and gods, so I, I assume I'll get more of that as the story progresses. Like it's pretty much like a binary. Uh, you've died. Seems like dying. Maybe things aren't so great on the other side of that. You want to go back, but you're just gonna have to build a cult. And you just sort of agree to it. Um, um, so I have, I don't have a good sense of like the story and if that is particularly interesting yet, but I'll say that the world and the sub characters in it that you're interacting with, um, like, <laughs> like one of the, one of the things, uh, I just unlocked is like a place to go do a, a surprisingly decent fishing mini game, uh, which fishing is pretty hard to nail uh, in games generally. Um, and the person running it, well, the fish running it is a fish that has a complicated relationship with the fact that it runs a fishing shop and it itself is a fish and has to constantly sort of like struggle with what <laughs> that means existentially for uh, itself. And it's just good. Like there's just a lot of really good color and characterization in a genre that doesn't use, but this is part of why Hades hit, right? Which is like, right. what if we t- like, that's a really, I mean, Hades stripped of all of the writing and characters like is still like a game that rips, but part of what makes it not just that, but a game that is like special is because of the character and story. And I am not suggesting Cult of Lamb is, is doing that or even attempting to do that level of like characterization and story, but all the other stuff it's doing in terms of its systems and the kind of genre mashup it's having, I am finding to be really interesting and satisfying and suggest to me a path where I could like more of these games if there there was more of that happening in between the the dungeon crawling aspect of it. Yeah, this sounds really excellent. Um Ren and Patrick, I also wanted to ask a follow-up based on I was out on Friday, but I was I was following uh loosely along with the stream y'all were doing. Is the Alone in the Dark reboot good? So, mm, well, no. How long into the game are you are we judging? <laughs> you tell me. Like that's that's mm-hmm. like I saw enough to be like one. This looks genuinely uh-huh. kind of cool, and two, not in line with like I don't remember particularly. Like I remember this being one of those things that came and went, and not being particularly like well received. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were a lot of failed attempts to reboot. Uh, you know, as there always are. Uh, old old franchises, and yet like y'all seem to be having a pretty good time, and the game looked legitimately neat. And so I'm kind of curious, like, is this does this game need to be reappraised or does it does does it end up like is there a turn where you where it suddenly snaps into focus of like, ah, yeah, OK, this is this is why this didn't catch on. So I can say that Alone in the Dark is really good as long as you stay within the one hour embargo window. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As long as you do that, as long as you maintain that one hour embargo, um, Alone in the Dark is excellent. It's It's, so interesting and maybe deserving of a reappraisal. And like, have we been think not giving this game the credit for the like, yes, rough edges, but lots of like truly interesting ideas it's throwing at the wall. And then just don't play past that first hour and wreck that feeling 
about the game at all. Do not go yeah. to go to Central Park. Don't go to Central Park. Just turn turn that car back around and do that cool uh, 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 fight se- or the <laughs> driving sequence again. Yeah. What if I told <laughs> you uh, they made a game with uh, a relatively for the time novel approach to to melee systems uh and then uh immediately handed you a gun uh and <laughs> a bunch of little guys to shoot uh with uh i would say not the the best controls uh i've ever i've ever played with but i think that like Honestly, I think Alone in the Dark's really neat. I hey, my memories, my childhood memories of playing Alone in the Dark, correct. That, f- that first the first hour <laughs> fucking owns. Are you kidding me? You're in a hotel, the hotel is on fire, you're climbing across this flaming hotel, you're picking up objects, you're breaking down doors, you're knocking a monster guy down and you're pulling him like three feet to the left to kind of gingerly put his left arm in the fire so he immediately blows up in the light you keep dying and beating the shit of this woman with different (laughs) weapons like i'm sorry a demon uh with like a katana and then a chair and then a fire extinguisher (laughs) god Welcome to the Misogyny Minute. Uh, I mean, it's it is a it is a game of which there are many in this class of uh, it has it has tr- truly interesting mashups, ideas, experiments. Uh, all of the money of the game is just crammed into that opening naughty jog adjacent uh, Uncharted inspired hour, and it's just it's kind of firing on all cylinders, and it's. It, it it I had played this game when it came out too, but it's been you know ten plus years as well for me. I don't remember. It was one of those I don't remember why I thought it was interesting, but I remember beating this and I remember telling people, "Ha ha, it's a little more interesting than you think." But I can't tell you why. And it's kind of been <laughs> the the delight of the Ren's Blockbuster feature broadly is like both games. You know, we've played like somewhere between two and three hours, and with both Dirge of Cerberus and Alone in the Dark, we hit a moment where. You know, you don't need to do a let's play. That already exists. Like we did, we played let's play this Ren and then stop because we have seen uh these these games both had moments where they like the game part hits, right? Where it's like, ah, this game needs to be eight to ten hours, and this is the sloggy part, and we'd have to slog through a lot to get to more of what's interesting. Whereas in those opening 90 minutes, you kind of, the game puts a lot of its cards on the table and they're really interesting to play with those cards and to see what it's dealing with. And then at a certain point, it's like, ah, shit, you know, you start to see the constraints that it's working with and uh, the padding that's involved. And that part is less interesting to play. That said, to Alone in the Dark's credit, and I wish more games had ideas like this, you can just skip that shit. You You can can literally go into the (laughs) options menu. We had a section that was glitching out um and it was not in this case because we were using a modded ps3 it was she was ren was legitimately playing it through like a streaming service what software Mm -hmm. but it was like through a playstation server like legitimately and this 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 driving sequence was just breaking and she was able to just go into the options menu click to the next chat not even just the next chapter to the next checkpoint just, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, nice. Yeah, it, it yeah. is so cool. Fucking whips. 
And it's, yeah. out, it's, it's out of this episodic Wait, is that pitch. Is that an Alone in the Dark feature? Or is yeah. that like a thing that Sony's no. added to... Mm-hmm. Okay. It's this an is Alone a game in the Dark. from 2008, which pitches itself as a DVD box set. That, yeah. is, the, that is the narrative framing device that you are given. Uh, and so here's the thing. You can hit fast forward on a DVD box set. So they let you just be like, I don't want to do this. Skip, 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 skip. Incredible. And also, there's a re- there's a recap at the beginning of each mm-hmm. uh, section. So like, if you skip something and you want to, you, you you just get told what happened, <laughs> which is great. What there is, is oh, go ahead, Ren. This is oh, just one it. of those progressive things I've ever heard. Man, like, everything <laughs> was possible, possible at the dawn of the Obama era. Right? And you know what? We need unions, and we need chapter selections in video games, and we need those unions to demand chapter, chapter selections in video games. <laughs> Uh, hey, hey, Chief, I don't think we're going to be able to deliver this uh, this sequence at the quality bar it needs to be. And we are putting in the overtime to do it. However, we could just skip it. Just let player like, be like, listen, you know this you know this cool like action set piece that doesn't work? It would have been pretty cool, but you can just skip it and we'll give you the recap. You can think about how cool this action set yeah. piece would have been. Listen, <laughs> had- listen, for 60... 60- for 65% of you, you're going to get a really cool action set piece. Mm. But for the other 35% of you, it's going to break. But you can just skip it. It's fine. <laughs> Dog, don't try. Trust me. Come on. Um, I've been looking at it all weekend, Patrick. I, I, will, I will open up my PS5 to play, to, to go to the Twitch.tv app and pull up Evo to watch with my, with my lovely girlfriend. Uh, and then I'll see Alone in the Dark, and I'm like, what if I actually did finish? I mean, it would be, I would be, I think that game specifically, because of its, it, it, you know, whenever we're not going to be able to do that this week, um, uh, revisiting Red's Blockbuster, one, we need to get, we're going to get Ren an Xbox. Kyle's going to deliver an Xbox so we can do Two Human like we had teased. Um, and, but if we wanted to, like, you know, dip back in. You know, if you're like, hey, I skipped ahead, found another cool sequence. Let's do that for 20 minutes. The the, the joy of Alone in the Dark is that it's actually possible to do that. And it doesn't require, you know, a mod or a cheat engine uh, tool in order to do so. And I just, it's, it's just, it's just, it's a really, it's not just charming. It's like genuinely interesting and useful. Um, I, there are frequently time, and this wouldn't work for every video game, right? Like it, it works very specifically best for a linear narrative uh, experience. But I mean, part of the difficulty with revisiting games is the fact that they are so long and dense and frequently full of bullshit that doesn't, isn't as appealing the second or third time around. And it's why I like very rarely, like the time I replay games is when we do it for, for literally for, to, for, you know, as part of a feature on Waypoint. But I would, I mean, shit, man, the end of the thing, like, we could have skipped parts of that. I, like, we didn't need to, we didn't need to do that. I'm kind of glad we did, because it makes me feel good to have experienced such pain and suffering uh, uh, for uh, our, our content. But uh, I wish more games literally had that feature, where it's just like, look, do you just want to skip to the next chapter? I mean, games used to have level selects and cheat codes. Like, this is, this is derived from what they took from us, which was, like, uh, hey, we're just going to take away your ability to manipulate the game because we as developers want you to see everything we're doing. And something about Alone in the Dark scratches at an annoyance I've had with games for like the last 10, 15 years, which was the rise of like technology and aesthetic, like went part and parcel with like, hey, we're going to remove your ability to manipulate what's on screen 
Um, you need to do it in the order that we've ordained. And I, I like the fact that Alone in the Dark does not. Yeah, I think that the other thing is that with the situation is that I think that a lot of game systems uh, have been designed. The world in which games are designed around this feature is so different than the one that we live yeah, in. Because sure. like the thing about Alone in the Dark in this case is that like that game actually doesn't put many resource pressures on you. It is a survival horror game, but sadly, I don't think you can have the skip feature in games with resource pressures. And so the skip feature is really cool, but limited to a couple of genres. But God, I wish it was there. Yeah. Oh, my God. In those in the places where it would work, I wish it was there. What if you could have the skip feature and like you can use it? And we're just going to set you to what we think is an appropriate but not luxurious set of resources. Like that's the trade-off. Is, yeah, I don't know, you know what all those I, grenades yeah, what is, you've been banking. You won't have them anymore. You use the. We will presume that to use that skip feature, you used all your grenades. Right. Like I could, fun. I could see it actually being a decent way to sort of snap a resource-focused survival game sort of back into its sweet spot mm-hmm. because. I think we all have the experience of like those don't tend to be balanced for the long haul. But now what if, you know, what if there were a way you just be like, I think I've gotten away from what they were hoping the state of play would be uh, in this situation. Let me just, let me just see what, what, what the next chapter would look like if, uh, if I were playing with their recommended kit, Mm. I think one, just yet another way in which that's a, that's a better world um, where we're, we're playing better games. Strong counterpoint. Uh, oh, and, and one, one, yeah. one last, oh, one last note alone in the dark, just to continue, uh, waypoints manifesting dominance. Oh my uh, god! Is to, is to point out that we played that game on Friday. I believe that's the last instant, the last released alone in the dark game. It was the PS3 version of a game that was released on Xbox 360 and some other platforms. The, I think the versions on Wii were completely different. Um, yeah. anyway, THQ Nordic acquired, or I guess. Embracer Group uh, uh, acquired Alone in the Dark in 2018. And there's some rumor mongering going around saying, hey, we're on the precipice of a new Alone in the Dark. And that came just after we played Alone <laughs> in the Dark. So finally, an eldritch horror inspired action adventure game. Uh, we could we're, we're finally we're, we're finally due for one. Do we, um, uh, we need to play Viva Pinata next. There are we, so many people that oh. need a Viva Pinata. I don't even care for those games, but I, like I know that people are mad. They haven't made it like an easy layup that Microsoft has just ignored for like 10 plus years. And, you know, I don't, but I don't want to over, I don't know what the cooldown is on our power. So I'll put it into consideration. Maybe we can manifesting sequels, a new upcoming feature from, from Waypoint. We get well, once every couple of months, we'll, we'll do our best to, to will it into the world. I like I like Viva Pinata a lot. I'm a, I'm a I'm a pro Viva Pinata woman, so if we if we end up doing that, I would be I would be overjoyed. That could be for... a Rins blockbuster. Akato, you're never getting that Xbox back. God damn it. Oh, that's on PC. Oh, okay. Well then okay, yeah. fine, Kato. You can get the Point Xbox. Stand. Still not get still not getting the <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> We have actually a very specific this... window where this can happen because I have access to a car for two weeks. I will drive you an Xbox, and then I will have to pick it up because otherwise, just put, it, put it in a lift. Just like put like, hey, can you deliver this yeah. Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> Never seeing that Xbox again. <laughs> I'm wondering, does does Heat Two count as way, Waypoint manifesting? I think, I think it, it kind of does. 
I think it kind of does. <laughs> and we started doing manhunting, and then Michael Mann was like, I'm writing a book. And I'm like, that's weird. And then he's like, it's not just going to be a book. I'm going to recast <laughs> it. And I'm like, hell yeah, you are. Absolutely. Oh, uh, so, yeah, it's been, look, this is just a, Waypoint is a spooky land now. Uh, episode After 500 episodes, the boundaries between Waypoint's Flights of Fancy and the uh, you know physical realm in which you all reside, it's getting porous, uh, honestly. Hey, Waypoint Plus, tap into the psychic maelstrom. <laughs> It's basically, you know, we every day we we sort of we group up uh, and we sort of go to the land of the Fae and we convene and we record uh, among the she and then we come back and uh, we see we see how the world has changed. Uh, speaking of changing the world. A recent conclusion, I don't know what's I don't know what's going on, but I've become the king of executive function. Mm. it's it's a strange and terrifying Mm. like new reality i'm a little startled Mm. by it uh but it is like it's undeniable now uh this is this is my new i wouldn't call just a bit it's an identity it's a way of life and it is as the king of executive function and i think it started the other night i was like you know what i'm transferring my plan of fitness home jim out of the one I abandoned in LA and bring it to the one up the road so I can walk over there and cancel. That's that's what I'm yeah. doing. Oh, yeah. Have you had I've had the plan of fitness. If people are not aware, this is like this is really worth pointing out. Plan of fitness, which is like, you know, the most ubiquitous, cheap, you know, uh, it's not the best equipment, but it's got the equipment and they got a lot of them. They're they're pretty easy to find. But if you want to cancel it, you cannot call, you cannot do it online. You are forced Can't even to write. go. So you, so you can, and I did. Oh, There's that's how you did it. Okay. You can either Sorry. you have to go Continue. in person to the actual place and cancel, so they can try and beg you to not cancel. And basically, they're just hoping. Well, because it can, you know, the price ranges from only like five or ten dollars a month, so it's like a you know in the range of a you know a, a, a subscription that people can just ignore. <laughs> and that's I think that's a lot of the Planet Fitness business model is just people signing up and forgetting yes. about it. Um, because of the structures they put in place to make it annoying. And if you want to cancel over, uh, 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 the mail, you have to get it notarized. So you have to go, they have to jump through the hoop of notarizing (laughs) a piece of paperwork to get it canceled in person, which is what I ended up doing in order to get my Chicago Logan Square Planet Fitness canceled years ago. I remember getting on the phone. Clearly they've been like, it's, you know, it's not the person, the person at the reception's, you know, fault that the, the shitty corporate policy, but clearly, like, they've had this escalating yeah. tension before. wildly exploitative. Uh, it, like, it is, I would estimate, I've probably, like, just set about a grand on fire across six years. I can't believe it's um, legal. It, it is one of those things that when you encounter it, um, and there are many things in life that feel this way, and this isn't, like, the largest of societal problems, but it, it is certainly, like, gestures at a rot uh in oh like, yeah b- more broadly this should not be legal no you should not be able to you should not have to require people to notarize a document to cancel their subscription for something they can just do over the phone or, or online 
Or yeah, you can and, and you have an online account. They yes. are online. Yes. There's stuff you can do there. <laughs> they just don't let you cancel. Uh-huh. And so like I think there's a whole bunch of businesses that like the coming class action lawsuit for people who are neurodivergent with like mild expressions of it, where it's like, hey, like like it is a perfect this is a perfect like pit spike trap for people with like ADHD or like follow through issues or procrastination. Like it is like, it is just enough friction, the multi-stage process. And also it's just not a big enough deal to really ever get fired up. To and deal you have to deal with, with people, but, right? It forces yeah. you to deal with people. And so if you have any sort of friction on, yeah, you know, like I don't have a ton of that, but there are times where like, it's just enough that like, I will put stuff off because I just yep. don't want to go deal with a person. And yeah, it, it is basically just like hammering all of those little bits to make it. Now yep. it's only well, it's only I got that deal for a year, so it's only five bucks. Like I'll just I'll just deal with it later, and then two years later, and then there's the forty dollar fee that they just charge you randomly every year too. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the but the king of executive function handled it. Was able to be like I'm gonna you know what I am going to fight my way into my login, and then I'm going to consult the mind palace and i'm going to visualize driving Mm. to the exact planet fitness that i signed up at and then i'm going to know which one because it's like hey which one is your home gym we we can't tell you you have to tell us we can't do (laughs) anything unless you guess right and so i'm like okay i will okay it was this one and they're like congratulations it is and then only then could i transfer it to the one in my town so now like uh you know i just have to go up the road and get this done so there's one more stage left uh but this is like we've got the band-aid mostly off after ignoring it for like six years um and i can't it's just not a very good gym like i'm just get like one reason i never use this very much is it was easily the worst gym I've ever used. Um, like it had a treadmill. To- That's what I used it for. Was that in the winter when I had small apartments in Chicago, in which I also could not afford my own gym equipment, I I could walk and use a treadmill in the winter because running is like my primary form of exercise. And like that's it did that. Those half the treadmills were frequently broken or gross. Yep. yep. Uh, you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> and uh, and they and they meet you. Not halfway, all the way on that promise. <laughs> um, but, it, but it allowed me to get through winners and just have a treadmill I could go run on that was five minutes from my apartment, which is all I was looking for, except for all the the, the bullshit afterward, the fact. So, but I just, the roll didn't stop there. Oh. Uh, then, like this, this weekend, it was a long weekend. I was like, I'm going to, okay, so I realized the real problem with my racing wheel setup is that it mm, didn't have a the real stand, a special mount. Mm. Uh, and so oh, it wasn't the fact that you bought a foldable stand that doesn't fold. So this was a discovery. Listen, the, the king of executive function can't also be the king of planning and detail. Uh, like, like I can't like, Oh, certainly I, that is not what Rob is based. Much of his identity on, um, is meticulous planning and research before executing a plan. But this is meticul- a new identity. Yeah, exactly. And also, the, the meticulous <laughs> planning was... He respect. I, <laughs> yeah, this is a, re- a Rob retcon. 
also the I chose one that was budget appropriate. There mm-hmm. like there were options that I was like, this probably is more what I want, but I don't know how this is going to change my life. So I'm just going to get a nice, sensible, intermediate option. And I did. And one, it's always alarming when you're taking a largely steel thing out of the box that it ships in. And a bunch of hardware comes tumbling out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then there's the hardware that you used to assemble that's still in its bags. And so you're just left with a big open question of like, where did all this important hardware come from? Hey, like that? where were where were all these screws and like bolts positioned before? What were they holding together? What were they tightening? I don't know. Uh it's not evident to me what they were what they were up to. Uh but I just sort of forged ahead. I I built my little wheel stand and pedal and it it, it it fixed a lot of my issues with with my racing wheel setup. Now it created a few more. If you sort of look over oh, my shoulder, yeah, yeah. Hey, look there it is. Mm-hmm. It's hey, cool. unobtrusive, I think. Uh, it's sort <laughs> of tucked over there. <laughs> hey, you just lied. Can you, is it part of the decor now? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, it fits. It fits with the decor. Uh, you know, there's. It really just slots in, and by slots in, I mean it just sits in front of. Some in shelves. front of a shelf of already like tons of cables <laughs> mm-hmm. and chargers and such. Yeah, I was gonna say like that that little section when you posted the picture from a couple of nights ago. I was like, oh, that's just the like we all have them. Like yeah. as as like, and I'm fairly organized, but like we all have the like the corner and <laughs> which is which the thing that's interesting about yours is how it's just out there. Like I I have a couple of corners in the house where it's just like that's just where shit goes. And then occasionally my wife will discover them. It's like, what? Like, it's like opening like a rat's nest. Like, what happened? What's in this drawer? It's like, that's just the drawer that's where the shit drawer. goes. <laughs> that's just the drawer where shit goes. We don't talk about that drawer. This is the drawer. <laughs> and Rob's drawer is just a whole corner. In the living room. In the oh living room. Because that's also my office. This is the nightmare. Like, this is this, this tiny little, this tiny little hutch, this little human hab trail. Uh, that I built for myself uh, just isn't up to the task of being my workspace and uh, the 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 silo for all my interests. But I but I will say, here's the thing. Uh, it totally delivered on the promise. I was like, I hope this resolves some of my issues. It did. It's enormously better. Like the wheel position rules. I'm like, oh, I'm driving now. Now this feels good. This feels appropriate. <laughs> and. So while the thing is like, I've got a huge giant ass racing sled now in the middle of the house. That's not ideal, but the racing sled can just be dragged over in front of the computer. And then you just plug two quick things in, you don't fuss with any other cables and you're just done. And it's ready to ready to race. What's better than that? Nothing. I'll just tell you, nothing's better than that. Uh, so huge, huge dub there. And the next day I was like, what else can I do? What else? What else? What other projects do I need to cross off? <laughs> I decided. How about, those, how about those pots and pans that need to be reattached to the ceiling? Uh, <laughs> so I got kind of a, you know, my neck is a little. <laughs> up, and, you know, ah, the king like, of executive yeah, function is, hey, even, even yeah. and they have their limits. Uh, hey, Patrick, uh, please pick a, a more fun activity next time uh, that more directly <laughs> benefits Rob, uh, if you could, uh, for the king of executive functions next task. Well, the king, look, the king of executive function is also 
a king of delegation. And hmm. since oh. it was hmm. MK's home improvement that failed, uh, the other not the you other putting morning. too many pots and pans up there because you're also upset about the amount of space you have in your cabinet. It, so right? here, I, I will say, Patrick, I feel a little guilty <laughs> about the fact that there was one particular pot that I was like, "This is like this a feels pot, like I'm like, pushing it. This feels uh-huh. like I'm pushing it." <laughs> but then, but but she reassured me repeatedly. She's like, "That thing's that thing's hella strong. It can, you know, you're, you we're not even testing the the limits of this." And I was like, "Okay." And so then it all collapsed. Uh, and is that on me? I don't think so. I was just doing Who's what uh, okay. I was listening to my engineer. I didn't know this detail before. You you had not mentioned. I think you're in the clear. I mean, yes, I mean, you are. You are uh, guilty by association, but you got the sign off. Right. So like it's like I agree. I need to fix this and I'm going to fix it by putting this on MK's to do list. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, do you, uh, Rob, are you, have you been so, uh, Asana pilled that, uh, do you have a Asana task, uh, happening for your house oh as well? God. We have discussed do you- doing task management <laughs> stuff for the household. Uh, we have, we have it's not, like, I, uh, you know, it's, it's like a more, a better version of like, you know, when my wife and I, you know, get someone to come do like maintenance on the house. It's like, just make, every time you encounter a thing, make a list. It's on a shared note so that you don't forget, cause you just forget. Right. You'll forget that's a thing that you it annoys you until you encounter it again. And so it actually is good. I I mean, I don't know if you need Asana to corporate level task manager software, but even just the notion of making a list of notion. things that bother you in a place. Notion. And then uh notion. Okay. All right. Well. Don't don't believe their lies about Notion. Notion is 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 fine. There's there's upside, but I've also seen Notion completely fail because it's almost too much. It's too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh that's fair. I mean, that's what it did to me, but I still I still respect Notion. <laughs> See, this is the problem, right? Is like I want something feature rich, but then it actually is like Notion is like, hey, I'm too feature rich. Do you know you wanted the thing you wanted to help you manage things? What if I just gave you a million new decisions to make about how you manage it? And that was that was me and and I watched I watched Notion completely crater uh with a side project, and I was like, I can't. We're not doing this. <laughs> um anyway. But no, so that I'm not fixing. Sorry, I am fixing through the miracle of delegation, the pots and pans. Miracle. Rack. Yeah. What I am, what I, what I tackled this weekend was like, I felt like, despite the fact that I maybe sank a little too much money into the Anthem AV receiver. Um, and I was told like it was a powerful and good device, which it is. It's great. I love it. The weird thing is I always kind of felt that after the carvers came back and were repaired, they didn't actually sound that much better than the speakers I've been using as stopgaps, which were much smaller uh, and were crucially made by Paradigm, which is a company that uses a lot of the same um, like infrastructure and uh, data as uh, Anthem does. So I I realized it's just got to be that the carvers have need more power than even the mighty anthem can give them. Mm. So I finally hooked them up to the NAD NAD 2200 stereo amplifier um which is like a thing feels like it's made out of lead. It is the size <laughs> of uh like it it is the size of like an old VCR 
or like uh god it's it's yeah old vcr is about the about the right exp- expression for it or or like those old desktop uh like they weren't towers but you know desktop pcs they were kind of flat it's like that size thing weighs like a million pounds um and it's all got a, you got just, an analogy there for anyone born after 2000 i don't because they just <laughs> stopped making things like this that's the problem is that's like oh i, I can got only one, I got describe one. it yeah what's what it's the size of a xbox which the the original original xbox yes that's yes okay yes i was like i also said 360 but i was like 360 is not what i'm thinking of no, it's the xbox uh, the xbox. also not helpful for people born after 2000 really but either way close enough um it's getting how there. big an xbox is huh i know how big an xbox is good great cool um, <laughs> fuck off but i was like surely this is going to be hard and it wasn't it wasn't because the anthem is so good because I, 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 I had such foresight when I bought it. Mm. It was really just a matter of hooking the anthems pre outs into this monster receiver. And now I'm just in audio nirvana here. Uh, it's it's incredible. Where's I've been told butt? uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watching Mission Impossible three. Uh, I was informed that like. It was a little bit too intense. <laughs> I was like, but at this by, level, by whom? MK. Okay. I was and like, did I was a like, neighbor is, come over? <laughs> this is the. I was like, this is the appropriate volume level for the mix. What are you talking about? And she was like, could we just punch up the center speaker? And I was like, that's not what Anthem Room Correction said we needed. <laughs> the software said this mix was fine. This is optimized. You want to you want to just punch up the center speaker and destroy the balance of this? It's supposed to sound like a helicopter's crashing in our house. <laughs> but then a day later I was watching Ali and mm. I realized okay, it might have needed like 5 or 6 more dB on the center on the center channel uh to really let you watch at like sanity preserving volumes. <laughs> but my god, the music the sound it's it's incredible highly rec- stereo amplifiers we're 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 living we're living like beasts here uh it, you know w- without them uh we 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 need them i've i've resisted uh making fun of uh rob this entire segment cuz i have to come to everyone with a, with a moment of honesty from mm. from my own realms mm. i currently have a pcb for a uh uh fight pod uh oh, on good. the way to my home currently um so even of, knowing that the meta has shifted and like gamepad play is perfectly good no 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 this is this is the way i already play games because i have we have i acknowledged this truth on a podcast before on, on one hmm. of our waypoint podcasts do you know how i play fighting games oh I do. i'm a keyboard player yeah and so the hitbox i have on the way to my apartment and by hitbox, I mean PCB that Chris Person ordered uh, and happened to have an extra one of, uh, in addition to a bunch of buttons, is just a is just I'm I'm excited. I will have yeah. I will have this, and I have. And here's the part where I was trying not to make fun of you because uh, I'm about to admit this. Uh, I do have plans to hand fab the case out of wood. Mm. Um, It'll look beautiful. I uh, I sure hope so. <laughs> Well, well if it doesn't, 
this will be your beautiful like this is your learning project and then later exactly. you get the second fight stick that's like really i really put all the pieces together for this i can one. what uh are you mm-hmm. are you going for with arcade buttons or are um, you doing keycaps Oh my god, I'm not doing keycaps. Kato. I mean, you're a keyboard of... player. It might, it might feel more comfortable to play on keycaps. No, I've I mean, definitely think... seen the like the mix of like arrows uh keycapped you know, with mix box. With arrows keycapped with the rest of the buttons arcade style. Are you talking uh, about a mix box? The most ugly fucking controller on the planet? It's probably what I would want, because I I'm also a keyboard player. And I've gotten used to the feeling of uh, hitting arrows. You're a, wait, you're a Wazda keyboard player? No. Arrows. Arrows. So I play opposite. I'm using uh, arrows on this side, and then all the buttons are on my left hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No one There's makes... Real, <laughs> no one makes... Real the- perversity happening here. Uh, this is exciting. I'm, I'm like... I'm excited that the spirit of Evo has, has moved y'all uh, to finally address the situation. Yeah. Let me. Fuck! I'm looking at. All... Wait, no, that's not what I wanted to send. What did you? What did you send? Copy image. I accidentally sent it. A, I accidentally sent a tweet making fun of Ninja. <laughs> Great. Uh... That's. <laughs> One sec. Oh. This is this is a mix box for people who are wondering, which yeah. I think is a, a a hideous fucking creature. Oh, I, I do hate that. I'm sorry, Kato. I can't support this. I don't care. It does the job. Form over function here on this in this particular realm, honestly. I don't see how a, like some sort of joystick is not going to improve the situation. Oh, no, it will no, not. No, here's it the will thing. Not. It won't. This is the thing. I'm so bad at joystick. I've gotten used to doing all the inputs that you have to do on a keyboard. The thing with this is it wouldn't work because I have all that muscle memory built up in the opposite hands. I mm. need to swap those. Uh, but this is, this would be my ideal setup of, I know how to do all the, you know, quarter circle, half circle turns in a sequence of arrow buttons. Like I've been doing it in <laughs> MAME and super uh, in street fighter three for years and years and years. Uh, so you were just, you were, you were born in this darkness. Yeah. This, this, uh, I, this I was, is, I was born within, <laughs> this is the only way I could, cause we didn't really have an arcade scene in South Florida. Uh, and I didn't really play many fighting games until I could uh, run my own em- emulators off a shitty old Mac laptop. Hey, this little, this little crafting minute, this little hobbyist yeah. uh, corner does remind me of something I wanted to fish out of the question bucket because it showed up Thanks. while Kato was on break, but we, we couldn't discuss it while Kato was on break. We needed to oh, discuss that, it now. Oh, that you couldn't discuss. Uh, so, hey, remember, you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh, so, Jacob writes in, Hi all. With the recent discussions of improvised furniture, I'd be remiss if I didn't share my own papercraft creation. Feel free to shorten the link in the description below. Nah. When I graduated from college, <laughs> I had a job lined up in a different state, but there was a six-week gap between graduation and my start date. I had no money, no part-time job, and nothing but time and thousands of bulk Magic the Gathering cards that my parents wanted out of their house Mm. when I moved. So I did what any sensible person would do. I binged three seasons of Quantum Leap and built a table out of Magic cards. (laughs) By folding the ends of the card 
you're left with a 2.5 inch square with 0.5 inch flaps on the opposite ends. Put six of those together and you've got a cube. No glue or tape needed. It's held together with just paper and friction. You can then attach other cards by tucking into those flaps and build any shape with interlinked cubes as long as it's sufficiently supported from below. I tried a few different designs and settled on a modified Menger sponge with a sheet of glass on top, pictures included. Here, let me show you. Is that going to look terrible or really sick? No, it looks amazing. That I looks really beautiful. sick. Oh my god! I think, it is, I think this the, is what the fuck? I think this is exquisite. <laughs> Jesus Christ! This is so sick. Wow, That's a lot of fucking cards. How strong is that table? It's holding glass. It's holding glass. Right, but that's like, but the glass is like equally distributed across the top. Yeah, I think yeah. the question. No, I, that, I would bet you that thing's I, like, I would bet you that thing's pretty damn strong though. But what is pretty damn strong? Like, can you put if you fell on it? I wouldn't sit on it, but Patrick, I bet you could. <laughs> I I think the problem is that if you kick it from the side, mm, then yeah. you're really then now now you're now you're although hey, they're all cubes now you're in bad so time. they're all but but they are all like I, like probably that is the vulnerable point but mm. and like probably like taking just that like straight like even like vertical load is the way to go but. I, I, I would bet you it's stronger than it looks. Uh, however, Jacob does cover this a bit. I never tested to find the exact limits, but I was able to put my feet up or keep 80 plus pounds of stuff on top without the cards bending or collapsing. Ugh. From time to time, Ugh. chunks would get knocked off by an errant kick, but it never completely fell apart. Wow. and was really simple to reattach any loose cubes or cards. After four years, I bought a real coffee table and dismantled and recycled the card table, but... I have enough cards to make at least a few more if I ever want to. I think this is exquisite. Yeah, it would be like, more I powerful. Would, I feel I, like the, I would, the problem is... I feel like I would yeah, bump into off. it in, in the night. Uh, like I bump into my current coffee table. But it just wasn't and that then, fragile. And then, hit, and, then, and then it would collapse sideways. I feel like... But, it, but that didn't happen. At most, you just needed to... like build a couple cubes yeah. slot those in to execute the repair so really like this is you know this also addresses some of the problems with a lot of uh you know a lot of modern furniture and, and stuff it's it's not repairable it's not designed to be here <laughs> infinitely repairable this is this is this is the way this is this is how we should all be living i love it uh, Here I thought I was about to get into woodworking. Now I know I, I, I need I need now I know I need to get into papercraft. <laughs> uh, I was never allowed to have this many cards at once through various means. I had to get rid of them in other ways. There's an aspect of this. It's like <laughs> this is a lot That's of magic a lot cards. Of magic cards. I'm I'm sure there's people with collections even bigger, but. But like you need to have so many magic cards that like you were okay destroying a ton of them, yeah. Uh, yeah. And just like knowing that you would never want to use them again, like it just didn't matter. I can only uh, assume so, these are these are you know uncommons and below, no rares or mythics in here. Probably maybe a few old rares that don't matter anymore. Yeah, those those are some commons in there. I don't see anything yeah. fancy. Um, <laughs> our next our next email comes from Ori. Ori writes, hi, Waypoint. I really love uh, Could and your segment last pod made me want to share my fave interaction with it and its devs. 
playing a build I was tinkering with, uh, a mutant with forearms, antlers, and hooks for feet, which apparently is a downside. Uh, yes. All of which have a chance to do an extra hit whenever you make a normal attack in melee. So this book, this build worked off the flurry ability, which makes an attack with all weapons and body parts as a single action. And this let me often literally when using axes, cut all the limbs from one target and basically one shot single enemies. While scouting every screen in the salt flats, I found a trader selling a set of mechanical arms, making me a six armed axe wielding murder moose. <laughs> However, while scouting all of those screens, I experienced a bug which rapidly slowed down the game on uh, screen transitions, eventually making it unplayable. I got into uh, contact with the devs both as a way to report this bug, but also to see if they could fix my save file, as I really love that character. After a brief back and forth, they found the cause and sent me back the fixed save, meaning I could continue playing. When the next update came, along with the fix to the bug, there was a new achievement. Six arms, none the richer. Have six arms is the condition. <laughs> so that's, that's the story that's of so how I have six achieved Six arms, none the richer. That's so good. <laughs> that's very good. Uh, this is actually fun because I was I was working on a character similar to that. I was trying to figure out how to make a cool axe wielding uh, murder freak, and now I know I need to I need to get the multiple arms trait because previously I just need to make a cool bird person because I was making a cool bird person and I was like beak wings two axes now i know i got i got forearms hooks for feet hooks for feet is really good that's 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 four <laughs> mutation points i can spend that on being double muscled i could be so strong Ooh, spin cautionary note here uh ori does note p.s that character died like 30 minutes after i got the save back that's every that's every i got hit by a phase grenade (laughs) walked inside a wall then phased back in before exiting the wall killing me instantly game is good (laughs) phase grenades will get you you cannot fuck around with those they will they will ruin you gotta be careful with phasing hey uh Kyle, i guess this is mostly for you but i'm I'm curious uh Hmm. if ren touched this at all uh, but it reminded me, like, Patrick's um, cult talk uh, reminded me of this email. Rusty from Indy writes, I'm curious if Kato, after they and Austin were really high on the demo for Black Book, uh, ever went back to that game. As someone who is a big Resident Evil fan, the game was so good that it dethroned Resident Evil Village as my game of the year for 2021. If you don't remember, Black Book is a deck-building RPG visual novel hybrid not a roguelike, sorry, Kato, though they did add a roguelike <laughs> mode, a la Inscription, where he plays a Slavic woman, uh, Vasilisa, who makes a deal with a demon to become a witch to save her uh, betrothed from hell after he commits suicide. To do so, you need to remove the seven seals on the eponymous black book. Uh, anyway, Kato, did, did you ever follow up with that? Did you stick with it? No, I just I played that uh, that demo when it came out. Uh, and never got around to it when it actually dropped. I missed when it dropped. I guess it dropped last year in August. Um, but I remember enjoying the 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 demo they had that they had put out. So maybe I'll go back and look at it now that it's actually well a year later. But now that it's now that it's actually released, uh, I'm actually you know just part of that email that I wanted to point out. I'd be fine with less roguelike in the roguelike deck builders. I love inscription. I love that it has an end. 
Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I just like the form otherwise, right? Like being able to build decks and play card games. Uh, so like, actually, Black Book also K- sounds Kato's like Kato's shucking off this reputation. <laughs> Kato is like, hold on. I'm just well, a card it's, guy. It's a, it's a, it's a, I like it's the cards. spectrum thing, right? Like, I'm not a card guy, but there are games like this that will get me, but I need an end, right? Like, that is like a, a thing that I've always liked in games is like, in, infinity playing doesn't really attract me. Even right. in a game that has infinite replayability, I need... I, I need the, the the part that says right. you can go now. And so even a game like Dead Cells where, yeah, you played a million times, but like there's an end. You beat the final boss. Reroll and go again. Like that's that's I, I really crave and require that um, in, in the games that I play that operate in that space. And so we're on the same space. It's just that it's just that kind of likes these games more than I do. And so yeah. he's going to have a higher tolerance and interest in in those along the way. I like I like cards and gen. Honestly, because I yeah, I mean, I still do like things like Slay the Spire and stuff, but like, but not everything has to be infinite runs. Yeah, not everything has to be forever. Yeah. Although you know, Casey's mod has been pretty good, honestly. And so still having said all this, <laughs> I was like, you know what, this was missing though. I like that this game has an ending, but I also like that it doesn't. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, I, I wouldn't have played. Inscription was my favorite game from last year, and I would not have played it absent. The story and the right. structure, right? right like I, I would have watched a, a stream of it and been like, "That's really interesting." Wish it had a hook for me, and like it got me to play like a more complex card game that I would otherwise usually engage with because mm-hmm. all the other stuff was so good. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, a few people wrote in uh, after your odd encounter at the Target, uh, mm-hmm. sort of trying to get at some of the dynamics behind that. Uh, we got this one from Hemi. Uh, Hemi writes, I work at a liquor store, so while it's not consoles I deal with, we really have to be careful about what products are visible or accessible for customers. Obviously, expensive bottles like Don Julio 1942, Classe Azul, uh, McAllen 18, etc., those have to get moved off the floor quick. But the thing that is the worst and most annoying to employees like me is allocated bourbons. Those godforsaken taters are ruthless, and I guess they're called taters, the little collector people that run around mm-hmm. getting their special bourbons, okay. <laughs> are ruthless and will do everything they can to try and taters. see how many bottles of Buffalo Trace or Weller Special Reserve we have to the point where they will crane their next round of register to see if we're trying to hide anything or sneak into our stock room to see how many we have so they can go and post about it on their Facebook groups to have other taters descend upon us while they leave to check another store. We even have a policy to never say our stock of these bottles over the phone, because if one person calls, at least three will come in saying, oh, someone told me on the phone you guys had Weller. (laughs) The worst worst taters are known and recognized, (laughs) so they will also get family or friends to do it for them because they can't stand to being limited to one bottle a week because they know that we're lying about not having any more bottles in stock. Don't look up aftermarket bourbon. (laughs) So I was curious that this was still going on because I I stopped I basically stopped drinking nice bourbons because I just refused to play this game like when the bourbon craze took off and like even decent bourbons were starting to get like wildly price inflated and like nicer than like mid tier ones were becoming weird fucked up collector's items. I was just done. 
I was like, this is not, I'm, I'm, I'm not stuck, sticking with this. It's My dis- solution to this is the, the, the local, like, uh, nicer, uh, liquor store, uh, that's not far from me. I just buy like the small batch one that they make, you know, you know like they've bought like, like, Hey, yeah. this is, this is our version of, you know, a higher end thing. It's going to be slightly lower in price because it's local and it's just a, a, you know, a thing that'll be here for a week or two. And that ends up being, you know, $45, $50 for like, you know, a pretty normal size thing. You're getting something that's a little bit nicer. I don't care about the collection aspect of it, but it does help sidestep a little of the price uh, inflation, uh, like Pokemon trading card. Like it's, it's just that, like it's, it's yeah. just that, but like for, 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 for bourbon enthusiasts, I guess. Um, but yeah, I found all that shit annoying too. And so I just sidestepped it by just getting those like small batch uh, things that come out every couple of weeks at my, at my local mm-hmm. store. I just drink garbage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always the, that's always the move i drink that why this that's the, the yin and the yang i buy that and then also oh, right primarily uh drink costco and then when costco put out that like slightly higher end one that was like my dream i just did costco if you could just do a slightly more expensive cheaper things then i don't i, I never have slightly to purchase real liquor again that so having that, said oh I just I'm, when I'm gonna bring Ren that Xbox, I also have a uh, <laughs> a handle of Kentucky bourbon, Kentucky bourbon in pla- plastic <laughs> to give yeah. to Ren. A friend is moving from Kentucky to New York and brought it with him because Ren said something about bourbon on a podcast. <laughs> that rules. Very kind. Uh, having said that I find this sort of stuff annoying, I will say when I lived in L.A., I had a friend who was uh, super plugged into, like, rare stouts and mm-hmm. porters. Like, stuff that just, you like, I've never seen on store shelves. Uh, like My, na- from- my neighbor is a, a stout head, and, like, pre-kids was, would go to places and uh, camp overnight with a friend and purchase, like, these high-end stouts. Uh, yeah, and they, like they, they, they don't go on sale. You stand in line like you're buying a collector's item. Right. They're on sale for the enthusiasts that have waited overnight. They drink overnight in a parking lot and then sober up, buy them, and then go home and take a nap. Yeah, this guy told me a story about like you know, you, you, one time he like realizes the guy making the delivery rounds just drove off, and so he just starts following the delivery truck to like get <laughs> as much of this run as he can. Oh, wow, Jesus. that's pretty good. Wow. And the the thing is that shit was amazing it was the best like it was yeah. just incredible i was like this is this is like life-changing stout and he was like yeah and he's like this is why i can't drink regular stout he's like once you've had this like why would you wh- why would you drink every day like why would you settle for something like founder's breakfast or so like why why would you do it and I I had no answer, but the the real answer is because I'm not going to be following a delivery truck around Los Angeles trying to get like just, that's just not my life, um, and I'm not going to pay the the aftermarket uh, cost for all this. But like it is, it, it does sort of haunt me that like there's those extraordinary limited run things uh, that just never never sort of filter out into the mainstream uh, because it gets immediately sort of like hoarded by the enthusiast market um which which gets real insular uh in its in its own ways uh 
Got a good question here from uh, Shersha. Hi, Waypoint. For some reason, I rarely play as a magic user in games. Managing a pool of mana uh, that all of my abilities are tied to makes me anxious in a way that having limited ammo for a traditional weapon doesn't. What are the most interesting magic systems you've encountered in games? Mm. For me, like the thing that occurs to me is I really liked the the thing that has felt the most like good chaotic magic is what they used in magicka which was that all magic is assembled of elements and you're basically unlocking combos to see like what does this spell do hmm. and but as you're doing this there's a chance of misfires there's a chance that like the spells are not going to behave exactly the way you thought and there were underlying logic and rules to how the spells went together like it was you know you sort of started to figure out that uh, recipes follow the logic and you would be able to produce certain effects, uh, but there's still room for surprise. And that was one of the only things that like sort of preserved a sense of like, I wish there were more games that did have a magic system that felt like this, where it does feel like you're touching. Yeah. You're, you're touching like elemental powers, but also they're kind of tricky and hard to just manipulate that way. Uh, and that's, that's what I kind of dig. I, I don't think most, like the magic systems described in this email, they don't feel particularly magic to me uh, in a lot of cases where it's like it is it is like you got this many you have this many bullets in the gun effectively, except <laughs> the, the gun is uh, your, you know, a wand. Uh, the game that comes to mind for me is uh, Divinity Original Sin, uh, mm. which has. I mean, it has, you know, a traditional magic system, but part of what's so unique about it is, is is all the interactions that occur both on, like, an elemental and a physics level where, you know, like, a lot of that game is, hey, you're using your archer to blow open a, a barrel, which puts an oil slick, and then you're casting a fire spell to just set an entire, you know, village ablaze. And, like, one of the, <laughs> the, the one of the fun parts of an Original Sin, I have no idea. Original Sin 2 is, like, so high. Uh, like, you know, there were games that you know would be like an all-time favorite of yours, but you just, right. I, like, I know Original Sin 2 is like an 80-hour an game. I, I, that's a really hard thing to just chew off on the side once I missed the boat on it, like, being a new game that I could talk about for work. But I know that I would adore that game because I, I liked so much about Original Sin. But I, the, in the original, you could do this bit uh, where you you could be outside of an encounter and you could set up a bunch of elemental stuff before, like, the encounter triggered. And so I would, like, just sneak – you could, like, see a bunch of crates or barrels, and I would just cast a fire spell at it because you could attack prior to the encounter going turn-based. And you would just, like – like, a fire breaks out, seven enemies are on fire, and then the game's like, combat has begun as all the enemies turn to you and are like, rawr, as they're already – their skin is melting off of them. And – it was a game that just had a lot of uh, really interesting moments that felt like it was exploitation, but it was it was just dynamic set up by the player and the world that they were they were dropped in. And that made playing with the magic just a tremendous amount of fun. Um, I think the one that comes to mind for me is probably the the gin system from Golden Sun, which was pretty neat because it intertwined magic abilities with also stat boosts basically you could you, know, you had these little you know gin these little creatures that you would mm -hmm. find in the game and they would give you stat boosts if you set them to certain people but then also 
unlocked the ability to use that specific gen's like magic ability, which then unleashed them, which would allow that you to then do a summon, a like really powerful summon. But that would set that the gin into recovery mode, which would take away all the stat bonuses that it was giving you for a set amount of turns. So there's always this really nice tension of playing around with which gin do I attach to which people, which gin are just going to be stat boost and I'm not going to use their spells because I want to save those specific stat boosts and these are going to be specifically to use as magic spells. And there was a good kind of mix of of uh, options with, with that system that... Uh, has always stuck out in my mind as as far as RPGs go. I think that I think for me it's Dragon's Dogma. Uh specifically if you're playing a sorcerer, uh because sorcerers have access to a mechanic called spell syncing. Uh and spell syncing is when two sorcerers commit to casting the same spell. Basically, uh they speed each other's magic up. Uh Ooh. and so you can if you have a party with multiple sorcerers and you have them spell sync together, usually you'll do this with your pawn. Uh, you can do the most powerful spells in the game relatively quickly. But the cool part about it is that you have to teach your pawns how to spell sync. So you have to model when they start casting a spell, you have to be like, okay, I'm going to start casting with you. And they'll be like, oh, we can combine our magic. Oh, fuck. All right. That changes things. And then you, <laughs> once you, once you teach them how to do that, you can start spell syncing a ton. And that it means that playing two sorcerers at the same time because in most games i think having two huge magic dealers isn't the best thing to do or the most fun thing to do uh and in the case of dragon's dogma it opens up a whole new range of uh like options and like ways of approaching fights and making them safer uh that i find exciting that's i'm so glad you mentioned that because i'm playing a sorcerer in dragon's dogma very slowly on my switch randomly and I did the thing when I picked pawns of like, okay, let's spread. Let's get a good spread here. You know, pick up a warrior, pick up something uh, ranged, uh, whatever the uh, bow people. Or I think it's just archers at first. But now I think I'm going to go back. It's like, I want to I wanna see if I can get a pawn to like buff my spells with. That sounds awesome. It's very sick. Um, yeah, I, I started doing it because I was playing a uh, sorcerer temporarily because I'm playing a magic knight. And the best way to boost your magic power is to play a sorcerer for like 100 levels. Uh, and so I switched <laughs> over to sorcerer and had my pawn switch over too. And we've just been a, a fuck is me and El DiMaggio are a spell casting duo. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I think we'll leave off today's episode there. There's, uh, we're, we're starting to get some real, real good, uh, questions in the question bucket covering all variety of, <laughs> of subjects and, and stories. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll dig into those uh, a bit more next time. Uh, if you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube, uh, at Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Ricardo, where can people follow you? At a underscore Cotto underscore appears. Patrick. At Patrick Klubik. Renata. At Ren or Raven. You can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, Ren wrote up the Street Fighter final there, as well as uh, some of the highlights of Evo. Patrick has been reduced to calling out random colleagues in the games industry over a neon white scores. Uh, <laughs> please, somebody 
like post good but not great scores for Patrick mm-hmm. to to best and then Thank feel you. good about uh having having achieved that. Uh I think I've got a piece uh coming up on Grand Tactician Civil War and how it's sort of a fulfillment of a game that I've long thought was was basically impossible. Uh, thanks to Waypoint Plus, uh, as you heard us discuss, uh, Patrick and Ren played the surprisingly cool-looking Alone in the Dark uh, with that future of games feature, uh, the the checkpoint skip uh, feature. Everyone should drop what they're doing and <laughs> implement it ASAP in their in in whatever game they are working on. Later this week, uh, Patrick and I are going to be Dirty Boys, and then Ren and I are going to go save. The Inner Sphere and Battletech playing the 362 uh, mod. Save? <laughs> We're not the clans, right? We're going to participate in the military industrial complex in the Inner Sphere. Going to take some contracts. Yeah, that's saving it. That's saving it. There's, there's, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, like, as I long mean, as you're one of the good guys. I mean, right now we're hanging out with the Oregon uh, folks. We're hanging out in their space right now. Oh, they're still there in 3062? That's beautiful. Good yeah, no, they're doing, they're doing fine. Uh, so yeah, we will, I'm, I am eager to check that out and to play a version of Battletech that is closer to what I grew up reading about, certainly. Um, and hey, you best mark your calendars because next Monday, Kato and I are riding again with Motorsport Manager. I think we have three races left on this season. Uh, My hope is to knock two of them down with an extreme, uh, so then we can get ready to make some awesome choices for the next season. You know, once we get that final race in the books then we have the whole offseason right. to manage contracts right. building a new car and i think we've laid some really strong groundwork uh in motorsport manager so uh be sure and check that out uh next monday it's wild For how... plus listeners pardon Got oh sorry yeah i was just gonna say it's wild how knowing that you might still have your job changes your outlook on on things that little it is, t- it is yeah. true we uh you know we were we everyone said we were doomed the game was telling uh, us we were doomed. Yeah, uh, but the, 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 then the game told us, put all your faith in this rich kid. And yeah. we did. This paid and driver. we were carried to the promised land. Beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes trust funders are good. <laughs> For our Waypoint Plus listeners, Alex Navarro and I are discussing uh, Michael Mann's biopic Ali this week, which is basically a Michael Mann tribute band version of Malcolm X and When We Were Kings. Uh <laughs> Your mileage may vary, is is what I will say. Uh, Alex and I, I think we've both not seen this in a while, and uh, we are uh, we are coming to it in a very different place uh, and with some different context for it. So uh, I think that'll make for a good discussion. Uh, if that sounds good, or if you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed and the ad-free podcast, uh, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And hey, why stop there? Why not just cover yourself and your and your life and your shelves in Waypoint merch by going to waypointgeneralstore.com and uh, buying things like beautiful mugs, glassware, shirts, posters. Sky's the limit. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on... Uh, this Tuesday, we will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hang out, in our, hang out in, our, in, our, in our cool room with us. Welcome to the, ad, to the no ad zone. Wow. <laughs> Temperate. It's supposed to be 95 Recently. today. It's going to be less fucking, temperate. Yeah, in it's going to be fucking 95 yeah. in New York City. Don't fucking remind me, Kato. 